Hello everyone, this is a special Easter edition of the Exceptional Husband podcast. At the time of this posting, we have just finished the Easter weekend, and so I think it's very appropriate for me to go ahead and share this special edition, because I have a miracle to share with you guys that I just got to experience in my life this past week before the the posting of this episode. It is going to be very interesting. i looking forward to sharing this with you. Welcome to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. This podcast is for the husbands and fathers who are not satisfied with the status quo. You see, to be exceptional means to be rare, better than average, or deviating from the norm. On this journey, we will look at practical strategies, tips, and even experiments to break out of the usual and surprise our spouses, and at times, even ourselves. You are listening to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. Why settle for average when exceptional is an option? Well, I hope everyone is doing exceptionally well, and this is posting right after the Easter holiday. Uh, my name is Joe Sellers. I am your host for the Exceptional Husband Podcast, and I feel like this story is very appropriate to share right after Easter because I had my own resurrection miracle, if you would. So back in January of this year, uh, my wife and I decided to do a kitchen renovation, and so we got started by tearing off the tile from the back walls of the of the kitchen, the backsplash. And uh, unfortunately, I did not uh, wear a mask during this procedure. And to make matters worse, I actually used a, a powered device to get the tile off, so it created a massive amount of dust, which gave both my wife and myself uh, just an incredibly horrible, terif- terrifically horrible sinus infection. Well, because we got that sinus infection, our immune system was compromised, at least that's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. But what happened was with our compromised immune system, we actually got exposed at least twice that we know of to folks with COVID. And so after over two years of a pandemic, uh, we actually um, just got COVID back in January. And uh, it, was, it was, I think, a little worse on my wife than myself. She lost her smell and taste, and and um, that's how we knew for sure we had it before we went and got tested even. And we both had horrible coughs and, you know, neither one of us were hospitalized. We didn't have to go on a respirator or anything. It it could have been a lot worse compared to what some folks have have told us that their experience has been. But, but be it as may, we, we did have, you know, the exhaustion and and all that, especially in the, in the chronic cough. So I recovered from that, got better and went back to the gym and I was doing, doing great. I was feeling strong and uh, really getting back into the swing of things. And then all of a sudden, I started having chronic fatigue and uh, just exhaustion. Um, I, would, I would get on a rower, for example, and feel like someone was sitting on my chest and feel like my arms were just full of lead. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know when you have a health condition, obviously you probably don't just get it and then the next day you, bam, you, you have these huge symptoms. I, I'm sure a lot of conditions you have it for a while before the scale tips to the point to where you actually start having uh, visible symptoms. And so I'm assuming that's what happened with me. Um, I had all those things going on. And so I talked to my doctor and, and she decided to do a full workup. At the back of my mind, I'm thinking, ah, this is, this is probably just post COVID stuff that I've heard a lot of other people talk about with the chronic exhaustion and weakness, no big deal, but still just to, to be safe. We went ahead and did a full workup. And when I say full work, um, we're talking labs, we're talking CT scan, CT of contrast, 
and then kind of culminating in a stress test with nuclear scans. And so went through all that. My first shock was after the CT scan, both of them found some, some issues with my heart. And I thought, okay, didn't expect that. And then I had the, the nuclear scan, stress test and nuclear scan. I, I absolutely thought, okay, I'm going to do the scan and it's, it's going to come out clear and normal and we'll just go, huh, okay, just COVID stuff. Well, much to my shock, I did get a, a call from the nurse over at the VA to give me the news that evidently, evidently there's about four or five things wrong, or there were four or five things wrong with my heart and likely the cause of all this and that we need to schedule with a cardiologist. So be it as may with the you know overbooking and behind schedules of, of, of doctors, my first cardiologist appointment was not going to be for three weeks past that notification. So I thought, okay, no problem. Let's let's settle into this. And then Sunday night, the, the weekend before Easter, I believe it was the, the 10th of April, I started having worse symptoms. And that I had a, a pain going down my left arm and two fingers on my left hand were numb so much so they'd be, they were literally cold as ice, pain shooting down my leg. Um, felt like that a 400-pound gorilla sitting on my chest and pain kind of coming and going. Not, not like a start... A, a, a strong stabbing pain, but just like a dull ache that would come and go and come and go. So I thought, okay, this this probably isn't good. Uh, some pains around the base of my neck. I thought, okay, this this is crazy. So I sent an email in that Sunday night, and very first thing Monday morning, uh, my my nurse called from from the VA. She went through the telephonic triage, and which is you know a great system. And then at the end of that, she decided, well. Um, According to this, you need to go to the ER within 12 to 24 hours. So that was not the way I planned on starting my week. And so I went ahead and talked to my wife. Uh, it was I, I practically had to tie her down to keep her from going with me because I assured her I was feeling well enough to drive and and you know we need to take care of our son, our eight month old, and we needed to take care of you know everything. So I, I just assured her, look, I can drive myself, and I'll give you time. It's probably nothing, and if they release me, then you're not tied up all day in the ER around sick people. And and if they keep me, well, then you have time to you know get things together and take take care of our child and all that stuff. So seemed like a good plan at the time. So I get in my truck, start driving from Morristown to Johnson City, which is about an hour to the hospital. And on my way there, uh, about halfway there actually, my symptoms started getting worse. I, I would reach up for my phone to tap on the, the GPS, and it's like I felt like I could barely raise my hand up there to, to do that. And that pain around the base of my neck started getting worse, and um, I felt fear starting to creep in a little bit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I, am I going to make it to the hospital? Should I call 911? But I thought, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. By the time an ambulance got here and drove me to the hospital, I could literally be there already. So I, you know, did the proverbial, put the pedal to the metal and trucked on up I-81 to Johnson City. So um, I, side note here, I, I don't know if you know it, I, I turned on my emergency blinkers, which, you know, supposed to indicate, hey, I'm in an emergency. And I don't know if you know it or not, but that only affects about 10% at most of the people on the, on the interstate, on the highway, because uh, if you pull up behind someone with your emergency blinkers on and you're flashing your headlights at them to have them get out of the way and quit going slow in the, in the fast lane, guess what? It does absolutely nothing in 90 plus percent of the time. That's what I've heard. And I did not honk my horn, but I was getting real close to start honking my horn. So as, as Charlie Daniels once said, 
Mario Andretti would have sure been proud. So I started bobbing and weaving through the traffic and getting uh, to Johnson City. I obviously made it there without accident or getting pulled over. I was already planning in my head how I, I could explain this to a state trooper if I got pulled over. But anyway, I made it there, made it safe, didn't didn't hurt myself or anyone else. Get into the ER, check in, uh, literally standing at the desk trying to catch my breath just from walking in downhill, by the way, from the parking lot to tell them what's going on. So they get me checked in. I go into triage. They take me, it takes them almost no time to say, um, we're admitting you. And the cardiologist wants to go ahead and perform my heart catheterization uh, right away. So I thought, okay. So let my wife know that, hey, I am going to be admitted. So that gave her time to take care of her son and make plans on getting to Johnson City to be with me. So I get admitted and they immediately start various medications. They give me various pills. They stick a nitro patch on, on my chest. They hook me up to heart monitors and oxygen monitors and all these monitors. And, and so I'm sitting there. And my wife does make it up there a little bit later on and come to find out that, that, uh, I, um, thankfully my, my sister-in-law drove her, so she didn't have to stress it over that, but she got there and, and, uh, she just had my sister drive her or my sister-in-law drive her because as we found out, she could only stay till 7 PM that night. So she stopped packing her stuff and just brought me a few things and, and made her way up there and sat with me. And, and as you can imagine, we were concerned. And so, um, she left shortly after seven that night and, and I had probably one of the worst nights of, of sleep that I can remember in an extremely long time. No one can sleep on the hospital, but, and they were checking my blood, uh, drawing blood almost, uh, every hour for one thing or another. Next morning, uh, they come in there bright and early before the sun really is even up and tell me that I'm going in for heart catheterization. I barely get a text off to my wife to say, Hey, they're taking me back. And so they take me back. And I'm in the the waiting room, the pre-op room, uh, pre, pre-procedure room, and uh, getting prepared. And then they take me into the heart cath lab, which is more or less like an OR. And, and I'm laying there on this table. They literally have me strapped down to the table so I don't move during the process, during the, during the procedure. They have multiple IV needles sticking in, in both arms. I think I ended up with like four IV needles in my arms. And I'm laying there strapped down this table with a x-ray machine literally inches from my face. And after they had done all this work and all that, it, it was as if they take they just took a coffee break. I, I don't understand. They, like everyone left and just left me there. I could hear them talking in another room. And while they were off talking, having their coffee break or whatever it was they were doing, God and I had a, a serious talk. And he and I worked really hard together to keep me off the the. the ledge, if you would, of, of just fear and almost near panic because I'm laying there on this table. I'm concerned about the procedure because I found out they're going to do a left and right heart cath, which meant they were going in two different places in my arm. And so I'm kind of stressed about that. And I'm thinking, well, if the arm doesn't work, then I have to go through the groin and that's more of a recovery. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to just breathe and not think about it, not get in my head too much. And at this moment, I, I suddenly think, you know, I, I guess I'm glad at least I, I have an active life insurance policy. The, the thought actually literally crossed my mind. And so I'm laying there and, you know, if you, if you guys know me at all, I'm, I'm a big guy. And some of you have known me most of my life. You know that I am, I am pretty, 
to be such a big guy, I'm pretty easy going when it comes to stuff that makes you drowsy. Like if it says may cause drowsiness on the label, then I can almost guarantee you it is going to knock me out. So uh, long story short or short story long, however how you want to look at it, the nurse came over and said, okay, Mr. Sellers, we're going to get started. And so there's this amnesia um, sleepy juice that they give you, amnesia inducing sleepy juice. And I think as she told me that she was starting it, I don't know if she even finished her sentence before I drifted off to La La Land. So I have, to this day, I have no idea how long the procedure took. I have no idea how long I laid there. But I started coming to, and I could tell the doctor was over on my right uh, my right arm, and it felt almost like a, like a grandma crocheting. He was he kept moving around, and, and like I said, I was so out of it. I'm, I'm assuming he was going back and forth in my vein with, with this camera and stuff, but whatever. I'm laying there, and he's finishing up the procedure. And then it was almost like a little time jump, and I don't know if I just dozed back off or what, because all of a sudden, the doctor that was on my right, suddenly he was standing on my left, and he said, Mr. Sellers, we're finished, and, and you did you did great. And so I said, really? We're done? And, of course, this whole thing to me seemed like it took about, once the procedure, once the nurse said that we were starting, it seemed like it took about a minute and a half, of course, but who knows how long it took. So I woke up, and, and meanwhile, the cardiologist tells me that, that the procedure was great, I did great, that they found no blockages, and that the pressure in my heart and lungs were excellent. I thought, well, well that's awesome news. So they take me back to the recovery room after standing there putting pressure on, on my wound for uh, 15 minutes uh, after the they pulled the cath uh, out of my arm. And and then my my lovely bride gets to, to come into the recovery room with me, and the, the doctor comes back and tells us once again, he re- reiterates that, you know, look great. Um, heart and lung pressure were great, no blockages. So we thought, well, this is, this is great news. There was to, according to the way he said it, there was really nothing to be concerned about from my heart that whatever my symptoms were, it was not caused by my heart. So that was great news actually, especially compared to the earlier news. So then they get me back to my room and the primary cardiologist comes back, not the one who did the procedure, but another one, he comes back in and he pretty much reiterates everything that the, the, the cardiologist that did the procedure said, but then he added one thing that literally just blew me away. He said all those things and then he said, Mr. Sellers, you have the heart of an 18 year old. And I, it blew my mind. My, my mouth literally dropped open. I looked over at my wife and probably almost screamed, did you hear that? And so I was excited because if you know me at all, you know, I've said many times, I plan on living to 120 years old especially because of the wife of my second youth and because I have an eight-month-old son that I plan on seeing his grandkids, okay? Not just my grandkids, but his grandkids. And so, you know, some of you may have laughed at me when I've said 120 years old, but this cardiologist said you have the heart of an 18-year-old. So you can do the math later, but I'll just do it for you right now. That means that if I live to be 120, or excuse me, when I live to be 120, that means that my heart is only going to be 85 years old. So there. All you folks who laughed at me, it is possible. So after receiving this amazing news, uh, my wife and I, well, we went ahead and waited until I got discharged. Since I couldn't drive for 24 hours, she drove us home. But on the way, we stopped just a few minutes from the hospital at one of my favorite Thai restaurants. Had a celebratory lunch or dinner, I guess at this point, of pho. And just really were amazed still at what God had done for us. So we, we get home and... And then over the course of the next couple of days, I I realized a few things. I realized that I could go upstairs now without being short of breath. 
I have not had any palpitations since then. And I am strong. I, I don't have the weakness, the chronic fatigue. And so and the, the pain in my neck is totally gone. The pain down my arm with numb fingers, that's gone. So I have not only been healed, which, you know, healing would have been awesome. That would have been great to, to have been healed and symptom-free of all this, which, which happened. But God literally, that, that was enough. He's kind of showing off. He literally wound back the hands of time on my heart. So instead of a 53-year-old heart or an 85-year-old heart, as you know, some people have older organs than what they have because of health issues, well, I have an 18-year-old heart. And so, um, so all this has been so amazing to me, and it, it just dawned on me. When I said God wound back the, the hands of time, <laughs> you know, I, I have spoken English for 53 years, although one of my friends once told me that uh, she wasn't sure if if English was my my first language, and you know maybe hillbilly is my first language. I don't know, but anyway, I just realized after all this time that wound and wound are spelled exactly the same. It's the same spelling. It's just different pronunciation and totally different meanings. And so leave it to God to take a wound and to heal it to such a degree that He has literally wound back the hands of time to remove that wound. So. I think that's cool. I don't know. Maybe you're rolling your eyes at me right now, but I don't care. I think it's cool. So, so here's what God did for me. He healed me and he gave me a creative, if you would, resurrection. He more or less resurrected my heart from all these health issues, miracle. And it came the right a few days before Easter weekend. I think that's amazing. So when you think about how did this come about, there's a few things of, of note here I want to point out to you. One is that, that we did engage our, our medical community. We, we didn't just sit back and say, uh, no, I'm not going to do anything. But we, we engaged the medical community. They did their part in, in the checks and the scans and, and the probes and all that. But then the other thing that we did, especially once I started heading toward Johnson City, was we, we activated, if you would, the, the prayer network of, of family and friends. Because up to this point, we hadn't even told that many people because we, we didn't know what to tell them because we were waiting on the cardiologist appointment. But when it got to the point where it's, okay, I've got to go to the ER, then we activated our, our prayer network. And so I literally had people around the world praying for me during this procedure. And so that alone shows you not just the power of God, but also the power of prayer because my friends and family literally brought me into the throne room of God to, to say, you know, heal, heal this man, heal him in his time of need. And so I, I, I think that's significant as well to understand. And it's also significant to understand that, you know, there was no wonder drug administered. There was no surgical procedure uh, that was performed, which, of course, that was one of my concerns. I was going to have surgery and open heart surgery. You know, that, that scared me uh, as well, of course. But God took care of all that without having to go to these extreme or more extreme medical procedures. So I think it's interesting because, you know, this is a special edition of the podcast. And, and the next regularly scheduled podcast that we have uh, just happens to be, we're going to be picking up the second R in our three R framework, which the second R is relationships. And the first thing we're going to focus on in relationships is relationship to God. And so... Folks, I, I don't know how many of you listening to this already believe in God, already uh, have asked Jesus Christ to, to be your Lord and Savior, and how many of you haven't, but I just know for me, personally, what I know in my own life is that I have been through the darkest nights of my soul. I've been through horrifying, scary times. I've been in situations 
multiple situations where I literally thought I was going to die. I'm not getting out of this. Uh, this is going to end bad. And yet, even though God didn't just magically remove the situation or take me out of the situation, one thing that I do know for a fact is that he was always with me, right there beside me, step by step by step. And so obviously we'll, we'll talk more about this in the next episode when we talk about our relationship with God. But I just encourage you if, you, if you don't already know him as Lord and Savior, you know this, this is a perfect opportunity. Don't wait another day because I'm telling you, there have been things in my life that I've gone through. And just honestly speaking, I don't know how I would have made it without God. And I'm not sure how people who go through some of the things I've gone through, I don't know how they make it without God because it's like he, he kept not only my health together, but he kind of kept my sanity together because he's always been there for me. So we're going to wrap this up. I, I hope this is, has encouraged you. If you're going through a tough time, I'm telling you, the uh, best place to turn is to God. And uh, be sure and tune in next week and, and listen more about our relationship with God. But then also, if, if this has encouraged you and you know some friends that could really use some encouragement, maybe they're in a hopeless situation, maybe they're in a situation where they don't know if they're going to make it, just I encourage you to, to go ahead and share this with them. And uh, we're just... We, we just want to encourage those around the world, those people. I know this is the Exceptional Husband podcast, but obviously there's going to be principles shared here all the time that, that anyone can benefit from, not just husbands. And, you know, ladies, careful when you tell your husband they need to subscribe to this podcast. Care, Do it tactfully now. So, <laughs> all right. I hope you guys have a great day, and I hope you had a great Easter weekend, at least at the time of this uh, when this is going to be dropped. Uh, in the podcast, but hope you guys have a great day and we will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by Today for a Better Tomorrow Life Coaching. I sincerely hope you found encouragement and fresh ideas were sparked for you to grow more today. If you'd like more focused help in becoming an exceptional man, husband, and father, check out www.t4bt.us. That's t4bt.us. Click on the Book a Clarity Session button to schedule a conversation with me to see if personal coaching might be something for you. For this first call, I'll waive my usual fees just to get to know you better and see if we might be a good fit for me to help you on your journey. Once again, that's www.t4bt.us. Thanks again for listening, and remember, yesterday is gone forever and tomorrow is out of reach. All you can change is today.